0: Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services of Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. And today, I am delighted to have Kendra Malone here to talk about IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility Institute. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. Um, This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge our healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. I want to always begin with a content warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing, but within that, we may occasionally hear a story related to a crime, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. So as I said, today I have Kendra Malone here. Kendra has been addressing issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice for over 20 years as a trainer, consultant, facilitator, educator, artist, speaker, and activist. They have a breadth of experience developing and facilitating educational and connection building encounters, founded and strengthening cultural humility among diverse audiences, with a focus of the liberation of communities of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer communities, anti-violence, and community empowerment. Thank you so much for sharing space with us today.
1: Well, I appreciate the invitation. I look forward to our conversation.
0: Me too. I'm excited to learn about your work and what you're doing here in our state of Vermont. Uh, Kendra has been working with the Center for Crime Victim Services on programming, and they will be sharing with us about that but as we begin i'd love to hear just kind of a short overview of what you're comfortable sharing with how you were called into this work
1: sure so i think it's important when we talk about equity work and liberation work which is the framework that i enter this work that we um, have the ability to situate ourselves so in response to that question i think it's important for me to share that you know i've been recently dealing with some um, health issues Um, and so that has made uh, living sometimes challenging, and I share that because I think it's important for us to be able to show up um, as who we are, right, in doing uh, the work of liberation, which I would include anti-violence work specifically in that, and so, you know, I think, being able to name kind of where we're at and what's going on for us as we have these conversations, as we organize, as we really take up the work of you know, equity that, that we're able to position ourselves. So I certainly appreciate your um, caveat at the beginning, you know, inviting folks to be thoughtful about what might be shared here. Um, and so really being able to um, move through the world As my full self, I am a survivor of various forms of violence. I am a queer person of color. And those realities have created specific types of challenges for me to be able to live and work and love and contribute to the world in ways that I find meaningful. And so I have been fortunate to make a a career as well as a lifestyle of, of equity work. And so the experiences that I had brought me to this work. And I think that's a story um, and an experience that many folks who find themselves in any kind of social justice work, victim services work, um, anything you know, in those respective fields can relate to. Um, and that's certainly what has brought me here. Um, what has asked me to stay is that I'm good at it. I took some lived experience. Um, and built community around that and from there learned that i had some some skill set both in terms of um you know professional skill set but emotional and spiritual skill set that allows me to do this work because this work is is not easy um there is uh joy in it but there's also a lot of pain and trauma and having to contend with the realities of the oppressive cultural systems that Find ourselves in, and so being able to um, have that be an invitation to do some personal work and some collective work in community is um, kind of where I find myself today.
0: Amazing! I love that you just said, and I'm good at it. I love that because we don't remember to do that too often, right? I am and good I really, at what I do. yeah. It's it's hard to remember to do that, especially in this work where we're giving and giving and giving. It's like, yeah, we are good at this. So thank you for that. And I also really appreciated you, you know, being transparent with how you're showing up here today. I think that so often in these fields that we walk in, we're, you know, we're supposed to show up because completely energized and ready to go and like nothing else is happening. You know, we've checked everything at the door, but the reality is life is happening. And that's something I've been trying to do more of within my own work is acknowledging where I'm at as I'm coming into a space and sharing or teaching So thank you for that. And welcome. thank you for, oh, and thank you for turning your experiences into this work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the principles that has been instrumental in my healing journey um, is the principle of duality, right? That multiple things can be true at the same time. And that has been really freeing and opening up my ability to move through and be in the nuances of life. So Yes, you know, to be quite honest, I don't feel good today. (laughs) Um, And I still have um, the ability through the work that I've done through the loving community that I'm going to connect with after this to get, you know, some support that I need around the emotional energy that I've expended during our conversation. Both of those things can be true. You know, I can Mm -hmm. not feel well, I can plan to rest this afternoon, and I can still show up and have this important conversation with you because it matters to me. Um, And so, you know, being able to be in that duality um, has been very liberating for me.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to be taking note of that for myself as well. Thank you. It's an important lesson to remind us all of. So in the interest of you not feeling well, I wanna be mindful of your time today. Sure, of course. Um, Can you share with us about the IDEA Institute and your work with the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont? Sure, yeah,
1: so um, Jean from CCVS and I connected in November to start a conversation about what does it look like for Uh, victim service providers in the state of Vermont to deepen their equity work. Um, And of course, you know, just as a a side note, when we talk about, you know, IDEA work, there's so many acronyms, right, that exist. So, you know, for the purposes of this, you know, we're talking about Inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. A lot of people talk about, you know, DEI, a lot of people talk about Jedi. You know, so I think it's important to just recognize that really at the end of the day, what we're talking about is anti-oppression and liberation work, right? That's the genesis of this work. That's why it's necessary, right? Is because we have a very real history and contemporary reality of systems of oppression that impact particular communities of people, right? And so we can call it whatever we want, (laughs) but really like, let's be clear that we're talking about the fact that oppression is live and well in this country has a very uh, deep history of harm. And so really what we're trying to do is equip victim service providers to continue to provide services to victims, right? Um, And we know that the violence that folks have experienced who are victims comes from the fact that oppression exists, right? Like, and so, you know, being able to see that holistic picture is really important. And so I just want to make sure that, that we're very clear on that. And so, Jean and I had this conversation about what does it look like to support victim service providers in deepening that work? Because so many of the providers in Vermont have been doing this work um, for a very long time. There are others who are kind of newer to doing this work intentionally. And so I think we, you know, decided that it would be helpful to be able to provide an opportunity, um, one, for service providers to kind of take a look at and celebrate how, you know, they have accomplished the ability to be more thoughtful, right, about equity work, about liberation work, about, you know, serving communities that we know Um, have been very intentionally um, left at the wayside when it comes to, you know, service provision, um, while also helping folks craft a clear vision on what they can do realistically um, to to deepen that work um, in ways that are meaningful for them. And so that conversation turned into um, a collaborative to host a three-day equity institute, uh, the IDEA institute that was held in person in Vermont. It was a, a hybrid model. Um, where I was able to join you all in your beautiful state for a couple of days in January um, and really uh, have some conversations with folks and, you know, get an idea of what this work means to people, because really the heart of equity work, the heart of liberation work is collaboration, right, and co-creation and being able to um, simultaneously honor the important work that's already been done, um, but also to be able to peel away at the layers of how Our institutions, right, victim service providers included, are still harmful institutions that are operating in, you know, white supremacy, um, you know, heterosex has heterosexist norms, um, kind of all of the ways that those things are embedded, right, in kind of everything that we do. And so that looked like a three-day institute. Um, Myself and and some collaborators of mine uh, created an IDA strategic planning guide. And what that guide does is lays out the foundations of anti-oppression work. It looks at you know, uh, really important um, but sometimes challenging examples of this work in victim service provider fields um, and really is a step-by-step guide that folks can follow along to begin to deepen and think about and create action around what does it mean to institutionalize this work. Right, I think a lot of times when we see this work happening, um, not just in victim services, but in any kind of nonprofit, business, you know, uh, government-affiliated office, you know, people have good intentions, but the strategy isn't there, the action isn't there to actually bring it to fruition. And so, really, this institute was an opportunity to support folks in asking the hard questions, um, you know, taking a look at themselves as individuals, right, and being able to name um, the privileges that they carry. Uh, the ways that they might be impacted by oppression and how that saturates, right, the, the systems that they work in, um, all with an eye towards what does that then mean to create strategies and conversations with the communities that we know need our care and support that might not necessarily be able to access us. So that's where we started. So we we did the institute and now um, over the next few months, we're going to be doing several, um, you know, virtual check-ins where folks can, you know, check in, talk about their progress. You know, I can offer support. Um, you know, bounce ideas, and um, that will all come to a culmination in June, where uh, folks will have an opportunity to present kind of their progress in creating the plan to their peers for feedback, for support, um, and you know, just to be able to continue to build community around our efforts to continue to deepen our practices um, couched in, in liberation and, and uh, equity.
0: Incredible, incredible. I've had a chance to look through the um, report or the guide that you created and was really just blown away um, by the work that's happening here. And because it is so necessary, it's, you know, we're, we're all here trying to care for people, but we have to acknowledge the oppression that we carry and be able to really look deep into that to be able to shift. It's like, I really appreciate what you said. So often we're all talk. We have these good intentions, good ideas, but there isn't that follow through and there isn't that depth. And so I'm really excited by this Institute and the depth that you're bringing to it and the follow through to really not just be talk, but actually implement and and continue to evolve this field into what it needs to be. So that's incredible. Thank you.
1: Yeah, well, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's important to, you know, remember that this work is a long game, right? And so how do we find ways to sustain it, right? I think what we've seen, um, you know, in the last five, 10 years uh, around equity work kind of more broadly in the United States is kind of one and done, um, flashy, you know, Mm. things. And I think that there, you know, is a, a small place for that, but what can folks really do and also be mindful of capacity, right? Like one of the things that I hear, particularly from nonprofits who are in, you know, the social services field, victim services, you know, anything really having to do with social impact work are already spread so thin. So one of the key components of both the Institute, but the ongoing conversation, the ongoing support is what can you do realistically, And what does it look like to make this a priority? And when we have to make something a priority, that means we have to set other things down, Yep. right? And for those of us who are passionate right, about our fields, about our work, about supporting people, setting something down um, feels often opposite of what is is the right thing to do, right? And so we have to be really thoughtful about what can we realistically do as individuals, um, as institutions, Um, in terms of, you know, personnel time, in terms of emotional capacity, in terms of, you know, financial resources. And so, you know, I think dreaming big, yes, but how do we also think about and move forward in a way that's sustainable for the individuals, you know, executing the work as well as the organizations that are, you know, housing, um, you know, services and initiatives to support, you know, survivors of violence.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, classic example is I almost I was late to our podcast today because I had written down the time wrong people. and why is that? because I had too many things juggling. I hadn't put something down. And that's so it's such an important thing to remember that like yeah, to bring in and to to prioritize we have to we have to reshift our other things and that this is work that has to be prioritized. And you know, I want to echo what you said of this is the long game. I often say like we are doing work that we may not see the results of, but hopefully our children, our grandchildren see the results of. Like This is very long work that isn't the one and done. It's not the flashy thing. It's that continuous head down, feet forward work that people do in this field to slowly over time continue to create that change.
1: Absolutely. And I think in addition to that though, you know, liberation happens in relationship. And so, um, you know, yes, absolutely long game. And when you're able to have a meaningful conversation, you know, with a colleague or with, you know, somebody who's come to to seek support around, you know, experiencing violence or, you know, with a a group of people in your community and people in that conversation feel seen, validated, um, like they matter, that's also important too. And so I think being able to hold, you know, here's that principle of duality again, right? Being able to hold the large system change, organis- organizational change while also holding that the, the relationships that happen, you know, the conversations that happen, the the connections built between people is also important, right? And so being able to, to simultaneously have uh, an eye on, on both of those things is really important. And I know for me. You know, when I started doing this work. I had my yes, eyes absolutely. On. I, oh, go
0: you,
1: ahead. You, no, you I, you
0: cut out and jump. So was, that's okay. <laughs> I was I was gonna say that you know I find so much of like the biggest change happens in those quiet conversations yes. of making that space and going okay, I've got the big picture over here. I've got all these things I need absolutely. to do, but I'm gonna put all of that aside to have that conversation because yeah. that's the ripple effect. And I always talk about things as in like it's the ripple, like we're the pebble, and it's. We want to absolutely. just keep being yeah. that pebble and spreading that ripple out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, lots of layers, right? Lots of beautiful infuriating <laughs> uh, layers, um, you know, to to this work, you know, of equity and liberation and, and really for me of, of love, right? Loving other people um, and deeply caring for them.
0: Love that. <laughs> Yeah, if we don't have love, and I mean, sometimes that's the hardest part is to have love for the people who are causing harm, who need that redirection, who need to have those conversations is so challenging. And, you know, there are times where I think, you know, why is it my responsibility to have those conversations and to hold that love? But without love, we don't see change.
1: Right. And I think one of the, you know, approaches, that is really, you know, important to me in the work that I do and that I invite, you know, those who decide to come along um, is the somatic work, the body work. So, you know, let's take, for example, you know, white privilege, right? When folks who are racialized as white in this country are confronted with their white privilege and how it has impact on themselves, their work, you know, the communities that they're a part of, that's a very painful thing to have to contend with. Right, And so one of the things that is really important in doing this work is starting from a place of deepening our ability to be in our bodies with the pain of the ways that that privilege harms other people. Because for many people, when we know that we've caused harm, unintentionally or otherwise, that's a painful thing for us to contend with. We need to be able to take responsibility for it. We need to be able to, you know, work to change it. And so that's really where I start when we talk about, you know, those in this American cultural system who have a lot of social privileges, um, is to be able to honor folks' humanity, right? And saying that, like, when you have to contend with you know, particularly white privilege, that is a painful thing to do. And so what are the things that you can get support around to be able to be in your body so that when those defense mechanisms come up, um, when you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you have to take accountability for something, how can you move in and through that in a way that it's in alignment with your values, but that is not um, hindered by that reality. And so, you know, that's, that's where we start is being able to be in our bodies because, the the primary barriers to doing this work is is the somatic response we have to when we are being held accountable, or mm-hmm. when we're being asked to you know be open to correction, um, or when we have to look at the very real history and contemporary realities of oppression. That is painful stuff, and that lives in our bodies, right? And so that is an, another really I think crucial component that you know for folks listening. Who are in this work, or you know, interested in learning more, is how are you taking care of your body um, in ways that allow you to be with the realities of oppression?
0: Mm, yes. Um, what are some kind of tools or that you do bring to your trainings around how to have those somatic practices um, for people who don't understand what somatic practices are? Um, sure, yes. Maybe a little bit helpful, and just kind of some of the practices that you bring in.
1: Absolutely. So um, I know for me and and for many people in my community, meditative practices have been really crucial in being able to actually be present in our bodies. Um, Those of us who are survivors of violence and who are survivors of oppressive systems, which are also a form of violence, um, are often disconnected from our bodies. Um, And that's understandable. And I know a lot of therapeutic healing modalities for you know survivors of trauma include body work or you know somatic work is another way to talk about it. And so we apply those principles to liberation work and equity work um, for all involved. And so that looks like you know meditative practices um, where we learn to be still, right with ourselves, I think, you know, to refer back to your comment earlier about kind of being spread thin, right? Like we are, um, such a like grind and hustle culture. That's very normalized and actually championed. We find it very sexy to be like so busy that we, as a culture have really lost the ability to like be present in our bodies and with other people. And like, for me, that's where it starts. So, you know, meditation practices, breathing practices, you know, all with foundations, you know, in Buddhism, right. Um, looking at, um, you know, indigenous and uh, other kind of um, worldly spiritual practices, like whatever your, you know, spiritual or faith practice might be. Um, and for folks who are, you know, atheists or don't have one, you, that might be, you know, a connection with larger humanity and really getting at the, the root of how, you know, we connect with our bodies um, and with each other. Um, and so, you know, meditation, stillness, um you know, just intentional, you know, body check-in. I also, you know, regularly invite people who are doing, you know, kind of any type of social impact work is like, what is your strategy for wellness, right? So that could often look like therapy, that could look like a faith community, that could look like, you know, me, I'm a budding witch, right? Um, And so really having those things in place to be able to continue to move forward, I think are really important. So even If it's just taking time to stop and reflect on what do you have in place for your whole wellness, right, before um, entering these spaces or for folks who have been doing this kind of work for a long time, pausing to reflect on, you know, is the way that you're entering this work sustainable for you? Um, And a realization that I had um, you know, several years ago is how I was approaching this work was not sustainable for me. Um, mm-hmm. and so I had to get very, very serious and very real with myself of how can I actually enter the work of my heart in a way that doesn't actually damage me. Um, so I think self-awareness and understanding what matters to you, um, you know, what has value and meaning for you and how can you connect with that, um, in ways that allow you to be in your body, um, and and move in that direction. And I think for a lot of people, just the thought of trying to say I'm going to intentionally be in my body is scary. Like it freaks people out, you know. Because as a as a, an American cultural system, we don't value that.
0: Um, Absolutely,
1: yeah. And so to try to ask people to do something that we don't see um, in mainstream ways as being valued, uh, you know, is can be challenging. I know for me, it was very challenging to do any type of work. Um, about intentionally being present in my body, like it's still really hard sometimes. Um, actually, quite a bit. So you know, it, it's
0: all- <laughs> oh, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, I just started seeing a new therapist who works in the somatic practices and modalities, and it has been very challenging for me because I'm the one that's like, let's keep going, let's, you know, we got to get in here. Like, I'm here to talk. Like, let's do this. And instead, those first ten minutes are all about meditation or breathing or yoga and. It's really creating a great shift in me and allowing me to really kind of refocus some things like you're saying and saying like, we cannot continue this work if we're not caring for oneself. It just, it doesn't work. And I know I've been learning the lessons the hard way around that. And so thank you for sharing that. I think that's something that So many people will identify with and that it's good to put those practices in place and to think outside of the box, even if it's uncomfortable for you, um, you might just lean into it. (laughs) When I started out, I said to my therapist, I was like, you know, I'm not into woo-woo. I can do like a woo, but I can't do a woo yet. (laughs) I I think I'm into like the woo now, maybe I'm adding an O, but it's like just, you know, trying these different things out is really important. Um, So we could probably talk for hours, but um, I'm kind of looking over the questions. We've answered some of them, but can you kind of give, um, explain the anti-oppression framework? I think that would probably be like the biggest question that I would like to focus on as we kind of wind this down today. um, Just kind of looking at that for people who are listening.
1: Sure. So I think one of the most important things to remember when we're talking about liberation, right, which is doing the work of addressing oppression, is that there are so many ways to enter and to, and to think about and to experience and to embody that, that like there is no one way, right? And I think it's important for folks um, who uh, are listening, who are committed to this work, to really remember to listen to the communities that are most impacted wherever they may be, right? And to take lead um, from those folks. Because I think a lot of times, particularly with the professionalization, right? Of victim services and a lot of you know DEI work, IDEA, right? Going back to like the acronyms, right? And how, um, Work that started right as grassroots activism, right? Like we see the you know violence against women movement. We see civil rights and racial justice. We see you know trans rights movements. Like all of our important uh, cultural change started with people organizing, right? Okay. Um, at a very local level. And so, you know, and we've seen that kind of evolve culturally to be more professionalized, right? Which I think there's certainly benefit there, right? Because I operate in that sphere a lot. Um, but, you know, being able and willing to set down kind of one one's own agenda, um, one's pride, um, one's kind of, you know, I am expert, right? Um, and really have conversations, right, with with the people that are in your communities um, and those that, you know, you might understand have, um, you know, experiences of marginalization. And so, you know, the the root, right, is understanding um, those experiences, experiences and prioritizing those. So, you know, having said that, you know, an anti-oppressive framework really looks at the co-creation of moving into places where, you know, everyone is able to thrive and live and love and have access to the needs of daily living with limited barriers, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to, you know, going back to what I said, you know, earlier in our conversation is, you know, the heart of IDEA work, or, you know, whatever we want to call it, is addressing oppression, which has very systematically, both intentionally and unintentionally Harmed in very real ways, particular communities, right? People of color, queer folks, um, folks living with disabilities, you know, immigrants, um, you know, folks um, whose first language isn't English, you know, all of these communities, you know, have very real lived experiences of having this country and its systems and its organizations, you know, dismissing and actively harming, right? And so being able to um contend with that right as an individual and going back to our conversation about you know, somatic work about you know the importance of relationship and interpersonal conversations you know having those things be the core of how we then look at institutions and work to change those things so cha- you know ranging from thinking about an office an office's culture right to looking at policies of an organization to looking at more you know large macro You know, United States legislation, you know, like there's all of these places that we can see, you know, how can we plug in to um, identify, you know, harm that has been caused, that's still being caused, um, and and change it.
0: Amazing. I I mean, I I think it's incredible work. And I think one of the biggest things I just heard was like that we need to listen. Like there's just way too much of that, that savior complex of like, oh, you're in my office, I'm going to save you, I'm going to take this on, I'm going to make choices for you, I'm going to be your voice, and that is a very harmful approach, yep. um, especially when working with victims of crime. It's a very harmful approach because it's continuing that power and control dynamic. And for for victims and survivors to show up into your office and to to go through this process towards whatever justice looks like for them they have to be the lead. Um, They like, that is just something I speak about a lot. Is just like, you have to let us have our voice because if we find our voice, we're going to start to find courage. And so being there as that listening and guide is so, so imperative.
1: Absolutely. Well, also I think as those who are providing services also have, you know, deep awareness around their social locations, right? And the identities that they carry and how that may be um, a place of connection or a place of hindrance, right? For you know, those that, you know, the organizations that, you know, are providing victim, victim services, you know, adhere to um, while also, you know, remembering that, you know, communities aren't static. And so the, the ability to be agile, Right, um, and being responsive to you know what you know communities may need when it comes to healing around around violence, right? And so that you know, looks very different for a lot of people. And so I think one of the you know primary roles I see, particularly you know victim services providers, is to be kind of the bulldozer that knocks down barriers, mm-hmm. right? Um, to act as a, a guide to navigate very convoluted bureaucratic systems that, you know, are maddening to all of us. you know. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, a very crucial role, um, and, you know, to, to highlight, you know, your point again, the, just the listening, right, active listening, I think, is one of the most powerful things we can do um, for folks who've experienced, you know, violence and trauma, um, you know, is one of the most healing things we can do is is just to bear witness, right? To another human's experience. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, as an extension of that, like we don't necessarily always have to do something about it, right? Um, And so, you know, being able to just, yeah, start with listening and with conversations um, and with taking the guidance from, you know, either the individual who is seeking, you know, a service or from communities, you know, that you're uh, building relationship with, is, you know, being able to take guidance, right? I think is one of the key pieces to equity work is being able to receive um, information, experiences
0: um, that that inform how you move forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that so often we, we approach each conversation or each person we work with or whatever it might be with, we're going to teach them, We're going to educate them instead of flipping and saying to every single person I meet or interact with thinking, what can I learn from them is a shift that I think we need to take not only in this work, but in our daily practice of life as well, just with whoever we come into contact with. We get so in that thing of like the sound of our own voice versus that listening and learning because that's really where the change happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you give us uh, trying to think look at my questions here. So I kind of have an idea of how this is being implemented here in our state. Um, can you share some examples of effectiveness you've seen in implementing and having this institute in other places that you've worked outside of Vermont? Sure.
1: So you know some you know effective practices that that I've seen? Um, You know, I'll take an approach from kind of more of an organizational level um, is, you know, doing really intentional um, community building and collaboration, you know, so uh, being thoughtful about, you know, who's informing, you know, program delivery and design evaluation, um, you know, who's sitting on your board, um, you know, so I've seen a lot of really um, important work with advisory councils, right? where folks are intentionally inviting uh, people who, you know, have not um, necessarily been considered a priority, right, to inform, right, um, how organizations are run, program delivery. Um, I've seen some really uh, effective models in terms of acting as incubators, right, for maybe smaller culturally specific organizations who have maybe one or two or three people who are doing important anti-violence work in their respective communities, but because of the realities of how, you know, our infrastructures are set up, don't necessarily have the access to the resources or the capacity to kind of uh, deepen their ability to do work. And so I've seen a lot of really great, you know, incubation of culturally specific organizations. Um, I think I've also seen some really important work um, done, uh, within organizations around, uh, racial privilege, um, and folks who are white, um, how, you know, whatever that might mean to someone, uh, doing the work together in community with other white people, um, to unpack that pain that we talked about earlier, um, but also to strategize what, what, um, meaningful accountability looks like, right? So I think a lot of times we see, you know, uh, across kind of a uh, fields, affinity spaces, right? For particular communities to have um, space, you know, with, with folks they share community with. And I think that those are really important. Um, but I think oftentimes when we're talking about affinity spaces for uh, folks who are subjected to marginalization, there's also the expectation that they'll be the only ones that do the work around, you know, racism, around, you know, queer inclusion, you know, and, and so on but really at the end of the day, those who hold the privilege and cause the harm are the ones that need to stop causing the harm, right? Mm -hmm. And so for, you know, folks who, um, you know, to go back to talking about, you know, white supremacy and and, and racial privilege, you know, I've seen a lot of really great affinity spaces around white racialization and folks really taking the lead on, you know, anti-racism work in, you know, conjunction with, with other systems of oppression um, to change themselves, right, and their organizations in some really meaningful ways. So I've seen some some good work there. Um, and I've seen, you know, if we're thinking more um, kind of also macro, um, you know, putting your, your money, right, where your mouth is. And so putting, you know, what is significant, you know, for your organization, financial resources, uh, both into this work as an organization, um, as an institution, um, but also funneling it to, um, the communities that, that need it the most. Right. And so, you know, as a, you know, an American capitalist place, you know, money talks. And so mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the end all be all. There's a lot of other important work, but, you know, we have to be realistic as well. And so seeing, places put significant and intentional financial resources to supporting particular communities or supporting the work of uh, investigating, right? The ways that oppressive systems operate in their organizations um, has also been um, important. So I think those are some of the ways that I've seen, um, folks kind of move in the direction of increased equity um, for the purpose of liberation. Um, and, also, you know, just going back to the conversation we had earlier, uh, you know, asking for guidance, right. Asking for guidance, Mm -hmm. um, from the communities most impacted by these realities and saying, what can we do as an organization, um, to better serve you? Um, and sometimes, you know, I've seen organizations completely dissolve, right. Um, and, you know, kick their budgets over to other organizations so that they can flourish, you know? Um, so I think it really is contextual, right. And depends on the needs of your community, uh, the needs of your organization, um, and any, you know, other, um, you know, how do I want to like bureaucratic realities, right? Cause like we also operate in a bureaucratic place. And so what is realistically, um, approachable to you? Um, and what does that look like?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a thing of don't do what makes you comfortable because we cause the pain. So, you know, we need to be looking inward, but so not doing what's comfortable, but looking and seeing what is necessary. What is the work that is necessary in your actual community and being creative around that? Um, Because, you know, we're in a very rural population here in Vermont with pockets of cities, but they're very small cities, right? But so it's a very rural area and it's like, how do we, How do you start to be creative for your own community? And if you're in an extremely rural area and then maybe it is you're donating, you're giving your money, you're saying, okay, like, I'm not sure how to do this right here, but I know that I can donate. I can take my donation from over here and put it over there, or I got a bonus. I'm going to put it into these organizations over here and just being really creative and intentional around this work.
1: Absolutely. You know, and another example, you know, that I can pull, you know, from Vermont specifically and and the work, you know, that I'm doing um, with you all there is the narrative that I kept hearing from lots of, lots of folks that I was interacting with is that Vermont is so white, we can't find people of color to do X, Y, Z. So that could be either work here, be on our board, provide services to, and something that I invited folks to think about is one with that narrative. Vermont so white, you are completely erasing right, the people of color that do live there, Yep. Right, regardless of how small the percentage is. And really, what is a perspective shift look like that given the realities of the racial demographics of the state of Vermont, then it becomes the responsibility of anyone who's working in victim services, regardless of racial experience, to become more versed in serving the communities that you have there right? And I think another hidden layer under that sentiment is this expectation that if you hire more people of color or whatever your targeted community might be, that then it becomes their responsibility to serve those people, right? So like hidden, like in layers under that sentiment was Mm -hmm. like a lot of garbage, right? That I heard from a lot of folks in Vermont, you know? Um, And so it's like, well, let's unpack what you're really trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, an erasure of a community that absolutely is here um, and that 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 community is responsible for its own care wholly. Right. And so it's like, how do we, you know, and one of the kind of pieces of pushback I get from, from folks is, you know, how do you expect me to be versed in kind of all communities? And that's not the ask, right? Like, let's be very clear. What the ask is the ask is, you know, doing work around self-awareness, having an understanding of how, your identities and the communities that you belong to do or don't have privilege and what that means, right? For your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to have thoughtful, um, but often messy conversations, um, with a variety of people and that you're open to correction, right? And that you have a willingness to try to provide support services, you know, whatever your lane may be, in ways that are meaningful to the people that we know have these experiences, right? Even if that doesn't make sense to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I think that's an an important reminder is to be thoughtful about what our expectations are about who is doing what. Yep. And what is our responsibility, particularly for folks who have a lot of privilege in an American cultural context, right? like you, like it is your responsibility to, to shift that power dynamic.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes. Thank you. And thank you really for like honing in on Vermont, because that is a sentiment we hear all too often. And it does, it erases all the people that live here that are not white. And it's like, you know, it's yeah. So thank you really for, um, coming in and helping this state and showing them and guide them on how to start to really not only address, but take action.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been my pleasure. There are a lot of really committed, uh, both individuals but organizations in Vermont, um, which is really exciting. Like it's exciting to see um, how committed folks are, um, both in terms of victim services. But I, you know, I as I you know was preparing to you know do this work with you all. You know, I did my homework and poked around on who's doing what in Vermont, and so there's a lot of really important work happening in Vermont. And so I think, you know, um, you all are primed, right, to kind of move to the next level.
0: Yes, absolutely. We're small, but we're mighty. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, we're a really good incubator state of trying different things and taking different approaches. And it's really, it's something that I've really appreciated since I've moved here, just the risks and the thoughts and the conversation and the creativity and the actions that come out of this little, little piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. There's a
1: willingness, right. And I think that's another core piece of the work of liberation is being willing right? to like do whatever, you know, like whatever the thing is that there's a willingness, um, to sit in, in conversation, to sit in discomfort, but also to do that in the name of love, right. And connection and humanity and valuing people, right. And supporting each other in accessing, my words are leaving me in okay. uh,
0: uh,
1: accessing lives that have meaning to them um, that help people get out of kind of survival mode. That is the consequence, right, of, of oppression.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, do you have any good source of where people who are listening can go to get involved in the work happening here in our state or or even a national um,
1: yes, level. I have a couple of suggestions. So you already mentioned um, the Center for Victim Services, which, you know, host this podcast. I think that they're a really great resource for folks. Um, they're, you know, the, the ones that kind of spearheaded this work um, by inviting me in and, and having conversations and actually holding victim services um, providers accountable. Like it is now, you know, the, the work that I did with Um, you know, the respective organizations, like it's a requirement now, like to get funding that you have this D-I-D-E-A strategy in place um, so that, you know, you can be accountable to the fact that this work is a high priority, right? So I think connecting there, um, the Vermont Network Against uh, Domestic and Sexual Violence has a long history of Mm -hmm. doing anti-oppression work, uh broadly but around um you know race specifically. So they would be a really great um organization to connect with for folks who are you know specifically interested in victim services, um, for folks who are you know kind of more interested in, in kind of broad, you know, racial justice issues, the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance is doing some good work. Um, so you know these would be folks I think you know sign up for a newsletter and kind of you know stay yep. connected um and see what they've got going on. In terms of national, holy cow, like there are so many people doing so many great things. Um, But, you know, some of, of kind of the ones I look to um, more, more regularly is Race Forward. Uh, they're a national organization that um, builds bridge between, you know, advocacy and grassroots work and kind of more legislative national work, Um because like the work needs to happen everywhere. Um, they're great. And then a uh, 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 organization that I've called upon many, many times over the years. And I actually called upon specifically for the the IDA, IDEA strategic planning guide that I created for Vermont. Um, they're called AORTA, A-O-R-T-A. It stands for Anti-Oppression Resource and Training Alliance. Um, they do amazing work around, you know, uh, equity education and strategic planning. And they've got a lot of really great um, resources on their website that specifically talk about the core um, concepts and and experiences of anti-oppression. So I would highly encourage folks to check um, those places out. And then for folks um, who are interested in um, expanding their perspective on um, anti-violence work specifically, um, particularly for communities of color and Black folks specifically, um, there's a a great book. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies. Uh, it's by an author whose name is Resma Menakem. Um, and it uh, has been a very impactful uh, book on my, in my journey um, and invalidating the ways that um, racism and oppression are forms of violence right so i think when we talk about anti violence work we think about sexual violence and domestic violence and stalking and those are important things to to think about and to create movement around but embedded in that right is other forms of oppression that impact particular communities differently and so this book offers you know some insights around what you know, particularly people of color who experience those forms of violence also have to contend with with the very real violence, right, that is subjugation, discrimination, oppression. So those would be some places I would encourage folks to um, lean to.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I always like to give not only here in our state, but nationally as well, because we know we have listeners from all over and for, yeah, to get involved wherever you are and look at what, you know, your state's version of the Center for Crime Victim Service is doing, looking at what the agencies in your state are doing And if they're not putting this into place, you know, making those suggestions is a good thing as well. So, yeah. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation immensely and learned a thing or two and gotten to listen, which is amazing. It's all, we've, you know, right here, we're listening, we're learning, we're having a conversation. Absolutely. What it's all about. Um, I always like to close by asking my guests to, give a message to victims and survivors who are listening today. Um, So if you just have like a short little sentence or two that you would want to say to folks who are listening today that have experienced harm, especially oppression, I would welcome that.
1: Yeah, I would be happy to. So I think it's important for those of us, for our survivors of violence, to remember that we are enough, just as we are. Uh, We always have been, uh, we always will be, Um, And despite, you know, our experiences and what the world might be telling us about our value and our worthiness, um, we are enough right now in this moment. Um, And we are worthy of love and consideration and joy and laughter and play and rest um, and having our needs met. We're worthy of those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what has been most impactful on my journey is really deepening my sense of of self love and worth. You know, um, I think you know a lot of us who have survived violence um, you know, struggle with that, and so um, which is understandable, right? Um, we have you know science that tells us that we why we struggle, um, and our spirits that tell us why we struggle, and so I invite you today. Um, to think of and make action around, what can I do to love myself today? Ask yourself that question. What can I do to show myself how much I care um, and love and cherish myself? What is one thing I can do? Um, because I ask myself that every day.
0: Mm, that's a very good practice. That's a good practice for everyone. Thank you for that. And that's definitely something I'm gonna do when I get off this podcast is think about that. Because it is very challenging for us to remember that we are enough, just as we are, yeah.
1: Wherever you're at, you're enough this moment. Yes,
0: yes. Well, thank you so much, Ken Grimalone, for being here today. It's been a joy speaking with you. Um, I hope to meet you when you come back in June and I hope you get some much needed rest the rest of the day. Um, For those listening, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. My email is on at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna, of this bi-weekly podcast and show called The MEND. Thank you so much for being with us. Be well, be strong, and goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or feedback. We love hearing new topic ideas from listeners and watchers as well. Thank you for listening to The MEND, and be well.